Good morning, everyone. All right. So today's reading comes from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to contend the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the same, sorry, and believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I have a, a lighter to, no, I'm just kidding. You guys doing all right today? You guys, I enjoy the snow. My back is incredibly sore this morning from uh, trying to shovel snow. So if you see me hobbling around, it's because my back is, uh, is thrown out this morning. Not really, but it hurts. Uh. Uh, so I've been thinking about um, this series of Advent, and we've been Looking at Advent this year, and if you're new to Advent, that's perfectly fine. Um, Advent's been something that the Universal Church has celebrated for over 1,500 years. It, it's, a, it's a way that we look back to Jesus' first coming and also prepare our hearts for Jesus' second coming. And it's done before Christmas every single year as we just take a moment to, to, to just quiet ourselves, to look back, to think, and reflect. And as I was preparing for the message this week, uh, I was doing a bit of that. I, I was thinking back and reflecting um, just on a bit of my life, because throughout this series, we started with uh, the promised Messiah, where we looked at Old Testament promises of Jesus. We then looked at the uncreated Messiah, talking about the eternal nature of the Son of God and the Trinitarian nature of the God that we worship. And last week, we talked about the revolutionary Messiah, that Jesus has come to be the King over all the earth. And so this week, we're talking about the personal Messiah. And as I've been prepping to preach this this week, I've been thinking about my own story a bit of how I came to know Jesus, the personal Messiah. See, I grew up in a church, in a home that didn't really know Jesus. I went to church one time as a kid. It was to a vacation Bible school, and all I remember from that vacation Bible school is stacking up Oreos. Uh, I, and the only thing I can make sense of in my mind uh, as an adult is maybe it was the Tower of Babel. Um, that's the only thing I can really think of. Or we were just eating Oreos, and maybe I'm trying to spiritualize it as an adult. Um, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. It wasn't until my parents got divorced that I started going to church, and we were quite literally the back row Baptists. We sat in the back row of our little Baptist church. We would come in right before the service starts and out. No, no offense to any of you sitting in the back row today. Uh, just uh, no, no offense at all. You guys have lots of fun back there. Um, but if I see you sleeping, tomatoes coming your way. Just kidding. We would be the, fir- the last ones in, first ones out on Sunday. Um, but I'm thankful because despite that, despite going to church every couple of months, I heard the gospel of Jesus. 
I got to hear the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. And so I prayed a prayer. I accepted Jesus into my heart. I didn't do anything about it, though. I didn't go forward. I didn't tell anyone about it. Um, But I prayed that prayer. Nothing really changed in my life. A few years later, I was told I should get baptized because that's what you do. I had no clue what baptism meant, but I was like, okay, sign me up. That's what I'm supposed to do. I got dunked in the water, and again, nothing really changed in my life. My parents and I would still go to church every couple months. Nothing was really different about my family that I could see compared to everyone else. And then uh, near eighth grade, ninth grade, I started going to church a little bit more frequently. Um, I had an older step-sibling who was a part of a youth group, and I started going. And that's when I realized that this Christian thing is a little bit different than it had been in my mind. I started being around people that took the Word of God seriously, that took following Jesus seriously. And I realized that the way I was living was not in alignment with that. And so I repented, and I followed Jesus wholeheartedly, and from after my freshman year of high school onward, things were radically different in my life. I I truly followed Jesus as a disciple of him, but it always struck me as odd that no one else seemed to take Jesus seriously. Like, we had the greatest news in the world, and we'd be a church full of people, and we'd be singing praises to God, we'd be all hearing the same things, and then it would be radically different from person to person how they were implementing that in their lives. And that was something that, that, struck, that stuck with me as I was called into ministry. Uh, I knew that there was this reality that Jesus was Savior, but that many of us, though we proclaim Jesus as Lord, we don't really understand what that means. And as a freshman in college, I had the privilege of being part of a a campus ministry at the University of North Texas um, that really altered my life because I was, for the first time, around people, a group of people that really, really took this seriously. They were out there going out and making disciples and talking about evangelism and, and doing all of these things, and it quite honestly got me excited. And during my freshman year, I picked up a little book uh, by Leonard Ravenhill. Uh, It's a book called Why Revival Tarries, and it's a book that forever changed my life. Uh, It was a book that for the first time I had picked up a book and I couldn't put it down. I just read through it in one sitting, couldn't put the book down, was just flipping through and through many, many tears, just being like, why haven't we gotten this? That book imparted a deep yearning within me to see the church revived and the world awakened, and it's a yearning that's never left me. That's one of the books that's marked me more than any other book. And so I was flipping through it this week, just thinking through my story, thinking through this reality of Jesus as a personal Messiah, and I came across a series of questions that Ravenhill writes in that book that I'd like to read to you this morning to to kind of help frame where we're going with the personal Messiah today. So Ravenhill writes this. He says, Could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle, let men burn and give no hand? Can you sit at ease with the world around you damned? Merry Christmas, everyone. You know, somewhere along the way, it's become unpopular within the church at large and society as a whole to talk about the reality of our situation, 
to, to get down to the nitty-gritty details that those who do not know Jesus are dead in their trespasses and will experience eternal damnation apart from him. It's not a popular saying. It's especially not popular around Christmas time. You know, we're in the midst of celebrating this wonderful and joyous season where we proclaim that God, knowing our reality, knowing that we're dead in our trespasses, knowing that we couldn't live the life that we were supposed to live, came near to us at Christmas to make a way of salvation for us. That's what this Christmas season is all about, that God saw our sorry state. He saw that we were dead in our trespasses. He saw that we couldn't live life the way that we were supposed to live. And he looked upon us and he came near. He was born in Bethlehem for us. See, we can't celebrate Christmas without remembering why Jesus came in the first place. To save sinners from eternal damnation. Because this too is part of the Christmas story, that Jesus came because we, by our sin, had separated ourselves from God. This is part of the Christmas story. There can be no Advent, there can be no Christmas without a reason for Jesus coming. He didn't come because it was the right thing to do or because he had to. He did it because of his great love. He did it because of a desire to save us, a desire to see us set free from being slaves to sin, to see us be reconciled to God. He came to live the type of life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve, and he purchased our victory, purchased our victory in his resurrection. St. Athanasius said it this way, he said, for this reason was he both born and manifested as man. For this he died and rose in order that, eclipsing by his works all other human deeds, he might recall men from all the paths of error to know the Father. As he himself says, I came to seek and save that which was lost. It's why Jesus has come. And it's something that we need to remember, yes, even in the midst of the Christmas season, even in the midst of our joy and our peace and all of that, we need to remember the reality of our situation. That in our pre-Jesus state, before we come to know Jesus, we are destined to hell by our sin. Each and every one of us has chosen to live as enemies of God before Jesus. And we've acted like we ourselves are God, living however we want to live. Saying that, yeah, this is my life. I get to call the shots. God, who cares about him? I'm going to live for me. And despite that, the good news for us is that God didn't look at us and say, well, oh well, that's how they want to live. Have at it. He looks at us and he doesn't leave us in that place. Jesus, the Son of God, co-eternal with the Father, came to save us from our sin. He came to deliver us from hell. He came to deliver us and restore us to right relationship with the Father. He didn't do this because we deserved it, because we did not deserve it. But he did it because of his great love. 
a love that would lead him to die for us, even in death upon a cross. It's a love that transcends all understanding. The Son of God has come for us, and that, my friends, changes everything. It changes everything. So I want to reread our scripture to us this morning. It's going to be in John 3, 14 through 21. It says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that, they have done, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Really obscure passage that we're reading this morning. Not really. This passage contains probably the most well-known Bible verse in all of the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And despite this verse being well-known, despite all of us here probably having most of it memorized, I think that we often fail to grasp just exactly what this means. You know, I think we can read this verse and think that eternal life is related to our future destination, and rightfully so. We, we read that well to see that eternal life is part of our future destination, but what if the Bible intends something more than just our future? What if this isn't just about our future destination? What if eternal life is the type of life that God has for us in Christ Jesus now? Now, if that sounds strange, I can understand because I'm trying to, to help us see something a bit different here. I'm saying that eternal life is not either or. It's not either it's eternal life as our future destination or it's life as it's supposed to be lived now, but rather it's both and. Eternal life is about our future hope, but also about our life here and now. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in John 17, 3, to, to kind of help us see this a bit more. And this, uh, this portion here in John 17 is part of a larger discourse that Jesus has called the Upper Room Discourse right before he goes to the cross. And he's telling this to his disciples. He says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is about knowing 
God. That's what Jesus is revealing to his disciples in the upper room before his crucifixion. But this isn't about mere head knowledge. It's not just about knowing the right things. It's not just about having the the Bible memorized or anything like that. Knowing is ultimately about intimacy. It's about knowing God intimately. That word know that is there in John 17 in ancient culture was used as an idiom. And um, ultimately, it's used as an idiom for when a husband and a wife give each other a special hug. Okay, that was supposed to be funny, but you know, that's fine. Thank you. Thank you all for the pity laugh. After We still have children in here, so special hug is what we're going with. So when Jesus says that eternal life is that we may know God. What he's trying to do is put into our mind that to know God is to be in closest relationship with him. That that is how we know God. It's not just coming to a theoretical understanding. It's not just making a one-time proclamation. It's about knowing God intimately, knowing him in closest relationship. Eternal life is a type of life. It's a type of life where we are in closest relationship with God, empowered to live the way, empowered to live life the way it was intended to be lived. That's what eternal life is about. It's about us rediscovering what it means to walk with God in the cool of the day as Adam and Eve did in the garden. It's rediscovering the type of life that God intended for us to live. It's about living in eternity now. It's about practicing what we're going to be doing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years here and now. It's about discovering that the God of the universe, the God who pre-existed before all things, the God who created all things deeply loves you that he has given himself for you so that you might be a child of the Most High God. When we come to God for eternal life, what we're doing is we're admitting that our way of life is incorrect. That the way that we've been living isn't the right way to live. That whatever picture we have of the good life is false. That the good life isn't found in wealth or or happiness or power or authority or or things or, or whatever it is. That the good life isn't found in any of that, but rather that the good life is only found in Jesus Christ. It's not in anything that we can achieve. It's only found in Jesus. All the other ways of life ultimately lead to death. They lead to separation from God. But this type of life, eternal life in Jesus Christ, is a different type of life altogether. Instead of leading to death, it leads us to life itself. It leads us to the very fabric of life, the one who created all things. So this morning, if you're weary of living for yourself, If you're weary of living for the things of the world, I have really good news for you today. Jesus has come to give you a new type of life, and it's one that is rooted in resting in him. 
It's not about your effort. It's not about you. It's about what he has already done. He has come for you. He has come to give you life and life to the fullest. You know, John 3.16, if we're reading through John's gospel, is basically his thesis statement. John 3.16 isn't the words of Jesus. It's the words of John writing the thesis for his entire gospel. And I want to read it to you one more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's John's thesis for what he's talking about in his entire gospel. And that word so, when we see that God so loved the world, it's not related to quantity. It's not saying God loved the world so, 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 so much. That's not what it's saying in the original language, but rather it's the type of love that God has for us. What he's saying is he has shown his love for us in this way, that he sent his one and only son. Why would God do that? Why would God send his son? Have you ever stopped to think about it? Have you ever really just paused and just contemplated why would God send his son? Why would he do such a thing? And the answer is quite simple. It's revealed to us right there in the verse. It's because he loves us. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He sent his son because he loves you and because he desires for you to experience that love, to experience the love of the Father and to have life that's truly life. God does not want you to perish. He's not a cosmic boogeyman. He's not up there in the clouds getting excited every time you stumble and fail laughing at you. That's not who our God is. Our God is a God of love, a God who chases after us, a God who wants us to experience life within him, to experience eternal life now and for all eternity. But here's the thing. Unless we believe in God's Son that has been given for us, we're unable to experience life that's truly life. We're unable to experience the type of life that God has for us. The true good life or life that's truly life is not available outside of Jesus. It's not, friends. It's not available in anything else. Yes, there are wonderful things that we can experience apart from Jesus. He has given us all sorts of things that we can enjoy in this life, including really, really good coffee. Amen? He's given us all of those things, and those things are ultimately to point us to Jesus, to point us to the Creator, not the created thing. In order to experience true life, in order to experience life that surpasses all other ways of life, we must come to Jesus. We must come to him and believe in him. And I think this is where we often miss what God has for us. 
Because when we're reading through John 3, 16, we come across that word believe, and I don't think we ultimately grasp it more times than not. Because believe is not just about admitting that something exists. That's not what believe is about. It's not fairy belief where we say, yeah, I believe that God exists. Because what does Jesus tell us elsewhere? Even the demons believe and they tremble. So it's not about a mere belief in God. Instead, belief in the original Greek language carries the connotation of trust and allegiance. It carries with it trust and allegiance. So when John 3.16 invites us to believe in Jesus so that we can receive eternal life, it's an invitation to trust in Jesus and pledge our allegiance to him as the only true king. It's us saying that we are no longer in control. That life isn't about us and that Jesus alone is the way in which we are supposed to to live. It's about us saying that Jesus has the authority to show us how we are to live in light of us being restored to God as his children. It's about placing ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Here's something that I want us to understand. Belief is not a proclamation, it's a posture. Belief is not a proclamation, it's a posture. It's not something that we do once and that we're done. It's something that we do every single moment of our lives. It's about us saying that we trust in Jesus, that our allegiance is in him. It's us coming to Jesus and fully joining ourselves to him and his way. It's us putting off the old self and putting on the new self. It's us committing to walk in the way of Jesus. This is what it looks like to lay hold of eternal life. It's receiving salvation through surrender. And from that place, living for God's glory here and now because of what Jesus has done for us. It's a holistic and wholehearted surrender to the way of God. I want to go to John 15 and read verses 4 through 11 for us this morning. This is what Jesus says here in that same setting of the upper room. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be.
complete. Eternal life is about knowing John 15, 9 deeply. And it's one of those that I encourage you to, to highlight and underline and put on your mirror and make it the background image of your phone because it's such an important thing that Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. The same love that the Father has for Jesus is the type of love that Jesus has for us. It's the type of love that he has for us. When we understand the heart of Jesus toward us, it changes everything. When we understand that there is a God who radically loves us, it changes absolutely everything about our lives. When we have an understanding that he came for us in love, that he died for us in love, that he was resurrected for us in love, and that today he looks at us in love, it changes everything, friends. It will radically alter your life. He has done all the work to restore us to God. And the way that we are to respond is to remain in that love, to continue to walk with God. God has made a way for us to walk in closest relationship with him. He's empowered us by the Spirit to remain in him and to bear fruit. He has done the work. He has equipped us with everything we need to live this type of life. And he says to us, remain. Keep my love before you at all times. And when we do that, it will radically shape us. Eternal life is a radical reorientation of every, every fiber of our being towards God. It's a radical reorientation of who we are in light of the good news of salvation. It's about redemption, not just for eternity, but for every day of our lives. Every moment of our lives has been redeemed by the God who loves us. By God taking on flesh and purchasing our salvation, he has brought about a new way of life for us. A type of life that's not focused on us, not focused upon our desires, but instead focused upon him. Focused upon the way of life that he originally intended. The way of life that he created for Adam and Eve in the garden. But just as in the garden, we have a choice. We can choose whether or not to grab a hold of this life. I want to read John 3, 18 through 21 again. It says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. 
What I want us to understand this morning is that the gospel of Jesus is good news for those who believe. It's good news for those who will place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a good news that isn't dependent upon our status in life. It's not a good news for the rich or for the powerful or for the one with a good family or for the one that's popular. It's good news for every single person who will place their faith and trust in Jesus. Good news for all who have sinned. And to clue you in, that's all of us sitting here in this room. It's the news of God reaching down to us. God seeing our state, God seeing our sin, God seeing all the ways in which we've made life about us instead of him, him coming near, him getting down on our level and inviting us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's the God of the universe coming to us and saying, trust in me. I have made a way where there is no way. But what scripture tells us is that the pool of darkness is strong. That there's still this pool within us trying to get us to go to the darkness. As John says in 3.19, light has come into the world But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. See, what God has done is he stretched out his hands toward us. He's welcoming us to come to him. And all we have to do is grab a hold of his hand. To grab a hold of him, to let go of everything else. But for us, we're often being pulled in multiple directions. We want to go towards Jesus, but the appeal of our former life is strong. We want to still live in our sin and our way of life and all of those things that bring, bring us happiness, even if it is fleeting. But that, friends, is not the way to true life. We all know it. We all know the remorse that we feel every time we sin. We know the guilt that we feel every time we sin. We know that this isn't the way to true life, but yet we return to sin like a dog returns to its vomit over and over and over again. And all the time, Jesus is still there, never abandoning us, never forsaking, forsaking us, always there, His arms stretched out wide, looking towards us and saying, come to me. Come to me. Let go of all of that. Grab a hold of the life that I have for you. Grabbing a hold of this type of life requires us to repent. It requires us to turn from our sinful desires. It requires for us to admit that we've walked the wrong way. To say that we have gone in a direction that we shouldn't have. That we've made life about something that it was never supposed to be about. And that's a difficult thing to do. It's hard for us to admit that. It goes against our sinful nature to admit that we've gone the wrong way. But it's the way to life. John 3.20 says, Everyone who does evil hates the light. 
and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. See, inside of us, there are things that we hope no one will ever find out about. Things within us that we don't even want to remember, that we don't even want to think about. It's our darkest moments, the things we're least proud of in our life. There are things that fill us with shame, things that fill us with remorse, and ultimately things that make us feel like failures. Like we could never do anything right. And so often we hide those things in the deepest recesses of our souls, hoping that no one ever finds out about them. But here's the thing. God knows. He already knows. He knows what we've done. He knows every sin. He knows every failure. He knows about all the things that you hope no one else will find out about. And guess what? He's still there with open arms. Still there with open arms. Out of his great love, he came and died so that you can experience forgiveness so that you can be restored, so that all that stuff in your past, all that stuff that you're not proud of, all that stuff you wish would just go away, can actually go away. So that it's gone as far as the east is from the west. That's what Jesus does to all of our sin. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know what you've done. I don't know about the things that you wish you could forget. But here's the thing, and I want you to listen to me very closely. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he did. Nothing that you have done is bigger than the grace of God. Nothing that you have done is bigger than the love of God. His grace, his love, and his mercy are bigger than even your darkest sin. Even your darkest moment pale in comparison to the love of God that he has for you. He was born in Bethlehem for your sin. He lived the perfect life for your sin. He died on the cross for your sin. He was resurrected for your sin. John 3, 14, it says that Jesus must be lifted up. That the Son of Man must be lifted up. And he was. He was lifted up on the cross. His arms spread out. And what he does today is he beckons us to come to him. Saying, this is how much I love you. This is how much I want to forgive you. This is what I was willing to do so that you might be restored. He has done all the work. He came near in his birth, in his advent, for one reason, for your salvation. He came so that he could die and be resurrected. And he's inviting us today to respond to him. Maybe you're here and you're wanting so badly to believe all that I've said this morning. 
You want to believe that in Jesus there is eternal life, that there's life that's truly life, that there's something different. You want to believe that's so bad, but the ghost of Christmas past and Christmas present are haunting you. You know you. You know what you've done. You know what your life looks like now, and it's hard to see past that. It's a difficult thing for us to do, but here's the thing. God knows you. He knows who you are. He knows what you've done, and he offers you forgiveness. Yes, even you. Forgiveness of all your past. Restoration from all the things that you wish you could change. He wants to make you a child of the Most High God. He wants to bring you into his family. He literally wants to give you a new birth. To give you something completely new. And like I said in the beginning, this isn't just something where you can believe it or not, and if you don't, oh well. Friends, without Jesus, the future is hell. It is our reality that without Jesus, without a saving faith in Christ, we will face damnation. That we will be separated from God. And I, I'm not saying any of this to condemn you. I'm saying this because I want you to understand the offer of Jesus. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to show you how much God loves you. We have all sinned against a holy God. We have made life about something that it's not supposed to be about. We've lived for ourselves, and the consequences of that are separation from God. What is unholy can't be in the presence of that which is holy. We're not good enough. We can't do things, do more right than we can wrong, and it'll all wash out in the end. If we have sinned, we are separated from God. And yet he has made a way. And so if you are not in relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've been in relationship with Jesus, but have since walked away from that or not taken the gospel seriously and shrugged at it saying, eh, it's okay. I invite you today to believe in him as Lord of your life. And maybe you're here and you're like, I, I want to do that, but I'm struggling with it. Maybe you need to cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. Because he is faithful to meet you there. He is faithful to bring you into the fullness of his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. Maybe you're here this morning and, like I've said, you've made a proclamation of belief, but you feel like you haven't grabbed hold of eternal life. You haven't grabbed hold of life that's truly life. Maybe you're here and you're still stuck in the same sin cycles that you dealt with before coming to Jesus. Maybe you haven't found freedom. Friends, that's not how life in Jesus should be. And what I want you to do this morning is I want to invite you to surrender. To lay everything down at the foot of the cross and ask Jesus to cleanse you and empower you by the Spirit to put on the new self. 
Sometimes it takes a radical step to find lasting freedom. Maybe it's finding a brother or sister here in the room and confessing those sins that you keep returning to over and over again, saying, please keep me accountable. Please walk alongside of me. Please help me follow Jesus. Because that's what we're here for, friends, to help you experience a transformational life in Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of letting go. Don't be afraid of what you may miss out because the life that Jesus has is so much better than any sin we may want. And finally, maybe you're here. You know that you've obtained eternal life. You're walking with Jesus. You're living for him. But maybe you're having a hard time telling others that they can have the same. You've obtained eternal life but maybe your heart isn't moved at the world out there that hasn't obtained it yet. You understand theoretically that people are separated from God, but you're unmoved by it. I invite you to ask Jesus to give you his heart for people. It's a heart where he laid down his life for the sake of others. And it's one where he invites us to do the same, to not make life about us or about what we want, but instead to make our lives about the kingdom of God, living for the sake of others, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with a world that hasn't experienced it yet, a world that is destined for hell. So I don't know which of those things describe you this morning. Maybe none of them describe you. Amen. Hallelujah. But if one of those do describe you this morning, I invite you to respond. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or raise your hand, but if you want to do that, please feel free to. I'd love to pray with you. Our elders would love to pray with you. But what I'm asking you to do more than anything else is to search your heart. In a moment, we're going to stand and pray. And as we do that, I want you to just open yourselves up before the Lord. Ask him to search you. Ask him to reveal what's inside of you and then to respond to that. Will you stand with me as we pray? And we come before you today knowing that had we have made a mess out of life and that we have sinned We've fallen short of the glory of God. That we have done things that we're not proud of in this life. That we have sinned against you. That we've sinned against others. And we come before you thankful that you haven't left us in that sin. You haven't left us alone. You haven't turned your back on us, but instead you came near to us. You were born in Bethlehem. Unto us a child is given. You came and you lived the perfect life, showing us what life is all about. You died the death that you didn't deserve, but that we deserve. And even upon the cross, among those who are, who are 
crucifying you, you cry out, Father, forgive them. Even those you offer forgiveness. So this morning we stand before you, God. Knowing that you are a God of salvation, you are a God of restoration, a God of reconciliation. The God of second chances. A friend of sinners. The lifter of the lowly. We come before you and we ask you to do a work in us. And for those of us in here that don't know you, that don't truly know you, that aren't walking in relationship with you, would you reveal that to them today? Would you show them that their life is leading in a direction that's separated from you? Would you help them respond to your great love? For those of us here that that know that we have eternal life, that know that we've we've come to you but are struggling to to have an urgency for those around us, Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts today. That you would give us your heart for your people. For those of us that are stuck in sin, that are stuck in the things that we want freedom from, God, I pray that we would surrender today. That we would lay everything at your feet. And we love you. We praise you. It's in Christ's holy name.